G'day everyone and welcome to the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. I'm your host Jason. I'm your co-host Luke. You go, mate. Yeah, good dude, good. Been a really, really busy week. I've pretty much finished my move now, so pretty stoked to be a little bit more settled. All the big enclosures written and done. So, yeah, yeah happy days. Nice herp room now, I can hear the frog in the background. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm like, this is going to start up soon, but yeah. It's, it's not, not too noisy. It's, it's the mice bouncing off the wall or the crickets or something like that. There's always something here. Yeah, oh, it makes it a podcast, you know. It's a herp podcast, so you want to hear herps in the background too. That's it, and I just fed all the geckos just before, so I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing them smashing crickets soon as well. But <laughs> you know how it is. It's all yeah. good fun. Yeah. What about you, mate? Anyway. Oh, man, just usual, same old stuff, busy with work and whatnot, so trying to get a couple of enclosures up and running pretty soon. So probably yeah, we'll talk about on that. the socials. Yeah. Yeah. What do you reckon? We'll so, save that for a rainy day when it's just you and me again. We'll just get stuck into this episode. Yep, sounds good to me. Do you want to introduce a guest or? I'll let you do it this time. All right, no worries. Well, anyway, we've got Christopher Soul from Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers. How you going, mate? Yeah, mate, how you going? Good, good. Good to have you on. Also, you're also part of the new show, Aussie Snake Wranglers. Yeah, I am. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a bit That's a bit of a new one, actually, for me. Yeah. Um, watch pretty watch the first episode the other night. It was. I enjoyed it. Did you? Be honest. Yeah. Come on. No, I, I seriously did. I enjoyed it. The that close call with the Eastern Brown. Oh yeah, it was, that was a rough call. Like student, yeah. when we, I remember when we first shot that, and um, we went back and had a look at the footage because obviously we have GoPro mounts and stuff, and yeah. uh, the wrist mount on that call was just nothing but Eastern Brown in that whole yeah. that whole wide section was just eastern brown the whole thing and we were all just like we the way we grade the episodes we grade them in a b c yeah and so generally like an a story is something that you like that's kind of what you want every time if you can get it um yep. but obviously it's up to the snakes it's up to so many different factors but yeah as soon as we shot that Oh man, it was like whoa, that was rough. And yeah. Stew, Stewie, actually, believe it or not, he was pretty rattled. Like at the end, I think of that you episode. Could tell. Yeah, yeah, you can. Like he puts the bag down. Like we don't even get him out of the bag. Like and tail him out of the bag. Like he was rattled yeah. the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah now you could kind of see his demeanor change a little bit in the, on yeah. the video. Like once it happened, and just that you could hear it in his voice, especially when it when he dropped it and it went down. And obviously, you could see the cameramen were in the garden bed, basically where it darted to as well. So you could hear, you could basically hear his voice change and be like, "Oh no, this is like serious, pretty much." Like, yeah, oh, it, yeah. That snake went one to a hundred so quick, and obviously, you know, like you guys are seasoned vets, like you know what EBs are like, and when we're yeah, I just remember when we were shooting him coming back because because like so everything in the every, everything in the show is like there's no scripts or anything like especially yep. when it comes to the snake style, side of things like we might go back and do some establishment shots and all that kind of thing but the, yep. the, the yeah, like the snakes dictate how we kind of proceed and yeah when 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 that happened the, it went straight for the cameraman and uh, straight straight between Dave's legs and um. Yeah, if you if you watch a couple of episodes in, not to post spoilers, but um, yeah, Dave Dave has a uh, excellent track record with having snakes between his legs. 
Um, I think he's had about four, he had about four or five Van Oko between his legs the whole time we were filming, and every single yeah. time he's like, um, he's like Neville Longbottom from uh, Harry Potter. He's like, why is it always me? <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, that just goes to show that like you hear all the people out there that say, you know, I got chased by an Eastern Brown, this and that. But essentially, that episode, they stood still. It went straight past them. Oh, it didn't even bother them one bit. Hundred percent. And and you know, we're always trying to to push that to people like, you know, like my, with my other job, um, like we get a lot of that because it's out West and, you know, you get a lot yeah. of that. Oh yeah. The Browns, they chase you. And, um, it's complete rubbish. Like we've, yeah, it, it, it's hard, it's hard to not say spoilers in the show. Cause obviously I've seen, um, a good portion of the episodes, but there's a really cool episode coming up. Um, I forget, I forget what, which one it is, but, you can just see the perfect example of what Eastern Browns are like when they're not actually like, you know, scared. Um, yeah. When they're not being like cornered or anything and everything's just left to their own devices. Funnily enough, it includes Dave again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it, 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 it was a pretty intimidating call. Um, and, and look, I'm not going to beat around a bush. I'm pro- I always, uh, I always spout myself as the Sunshine Coast's worst snake catcher because, like, I rock, <laughs> if I rock up and there's an Eastern Brown, I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> it's always that sinking feeling, especially, like, yeah, if it's if it's under a certain size, if it's under, like, you know, three foot, then you really start to get the sweats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's so why don't you – yeah, exactly. I was going to say, so why don't you tell us – so. Basically, what tell us a little bit about yourself. So, what what's your other job and what got you into it and all that kind of thing? Um, so, my history, I actually um, started at the animal side of things uh, down at SeaWorld. Um, I used to work there as a shark diver. I used to work on the rides originally, uh, just being like a little bit of a button monkey. And, um, yeah, and then I used to hang around Shark Bay there a lot and uh, the boss – yeah, he asked me if I um, would be interested in getting a job there, and I was like, "Hell yeah!" So I jumped aboard. Uh, jumped aboard that, and so I was there for five years, um, just as a shark diver there. And we used to do so. We used to take care of the obviously the large sharks, the rays, and we used to do whale entrapment. So um, those guys that you see going out and they cut the whales out of the shark nets on the Gold Coast, um, generally they will have a diver there um, just in case things go south. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not allowed to dive with the whales anymore like we used to be able to, um, but it's just there as a safety thing. So you're aboard the boat. Yep. And if for some reason someone gets their hand stuck in the net or something and, you know, you jump in and you can and you can cut them out of there in an emergency situation. So, yeah, like I, I did that for five years and went uh, worked down in Tass- Tassie doing some dive stuff and then I came back and, yeah, I started working at Australia Zoo. And, um, yeah. Yeah, Australia Zoo, and I was there for seven or almost seven years uh, just in the croc reptile department. And, look, aside from, like, you know, some turtle stuff at SeaWorld, I was pretty much fresh, like, going through the first time. Like, I was really lucky just to kind of slot into a, um, yeah, into a lucky thing, uh, into a lucky position there. Just I started off mostly doing the husbandry and, like, water quality for the crocs there yeah because obviously they've got a lot of huge you know ponds and all that kind of thing they got a lot of crocodiles and a lot of alligators there and um yeah yeah, so i I was doing mostly water clarity and then yeah as i slowly kind of built my 
my skill up and all that kind of stuff and a little bit more experience and then, yeah, just through natural attrition of people leaving and all that kind of thing, yeah, just went up and started, yeah, I think I was like, oh, starting to do some, pe- like, personal contact stuff and, you know, you you work with the Irwins doing the shows and you do your own croc shows and you go through the level system that they have there at Australia Zoo and um, and I finished that. So I was just about to start teaching and training the other guys how to do it. Uh, funnily enough, uh, Stu used to work there as well and he used to be a crocodile handler there with me as well. Uh, same with Mick as well, actually, the mullet man. Um, yep. <clears throat> yeah, he was... Uh, yeah, he was he was a, a reptile handler there at Australia Zoo as well. We were all from Australia Zoo. Everyone on the Snake Wrangler show is uh, wow. worked at Australia Zoo at one time. Wow, there you go. And then yeah, after that, so so now I um I kind of I kind of freelance like I just do um so I, I do the Snake Wrangler stuff, but that doesn't really take up a lot of time. I generally, like to film the season, it's about a month. Um, yeah. And then other than that, I actually work as a fauna spotter uh, out in the mines. Um, okay. Um, and yeah, that's that's a pretty cruisy gig. It's obviously working for the the bad guys in a good guy role. I like to call it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, it's look, it, it's a double edged sword. It, it's so hard in the animal industry, as you guys know, to earn a living that's not you know minimum wage. And so that's after, right. after two jobs doing that kind of thing, and you know, like over ten years of working in that industry, I just need. I just needed money real bad, so pretty much just looked for whoever paid the best, and just kind of fell into it really. With um, yeah, good good uh, friend of mine, Ryan Hart. He owns uh, Inside Eco and Heritage, and he gave me a start, and then just built it from there. Yeah, no, that sounds like a yeah, that's kind of almost like a dream job for a lot of people too to work at Australia Zoo. So yes, it is, and they remind you of it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but there's a whole bunch of juicy goss there. Oh, yeah, there is. I I mean, look, look, I think the thing is you you don't stay at a job for seven years if you don't enjoy it, right? Exactly. And so there's definitely good part. It's like any job. There's pros and cons to everything. And I can tell you right now, if they they paid me the money that I make out in the mines to just do the awesome, like just do the croc shows and just hang with the crocs all day, I'd be back there in a heartbeat. Like, yeah, that's right. And there's such a good crew there and the training, like you really can't, like as far as crocodile stuff is concerned, you, you just really can't get any kind of experience with crocs in that fashion anywhere else in Australia. Like, you know, credit yep. where credit is due. Like the training's top notch. Like obviously Steve taught uh, all the guys that are there and those guys now train everyone else that's there. So uh, it really is a lot of fun and running around and doing all that and, just being a fat guy running around in front of the big death lizard is a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So, um, so what's kind of involved in your role as the, the fauna spotter? Um, so basically you just work. Uh, so at the moment I work, um, well, sometimes we've just changed tender out there, but uh, you work with the big gas companies. And um, basically what's involved is you – set certain areas that might have to be cleared or checked or they might have just basically you're just the person on site that is the animal person. So it, it is yeah. good to um, – because you, you do experience a lot of stuff other than herp. So 
Um, you know, you, you're dealing with possums and bats and uh, we always joke about to become a fully-fledged fauna spotter, you've got to do two things. You've got to uh, get a six-foot eastern brown and you've also got to get a, <laughs> a scrubbed uh, um, possum into a pillowcase. So <laughs> you get a brush tail possum into a pillowcase, um, you're pretty much a fully qualified fauna spotter because I think I'll probably take the Eastern Brown over a over a fully fully sized <laughs> possum because they can be nuts. Yeah. You they're don't realise how big they are. Oh, they're so intimidating as well. Like, um, yeah, we had a um, we've got a bird aviary here, and we had parrots, and there was real bad fires up, and there was a couple of um, like wildlife carers that basically the fires were encroaching on their property. Mm. So we basically just um, looked after a possum in the aviary for them for a couple of days, while like they came down and looked after it. We just basically had the space for it, and you don't realise the size of a possum until you're there and how angry the buggers are. Yeah, like I'd walk in and change its water every day, but. Yeah, it just growl at me every oh, time. And <laughs> that, that level just goes to 100. As soon as you collar them and you kind of start to, you know, really, like it's for their own good, but they don't know that. And so they're yeah. definitely ready to uh, push boundaries on that on that aspect. And, yeah, they can be really intimidating. Um, but it's all part of the fun, you know, like um, – so basically, like, yeah, just to get back to what we like think. So we, we clear a certain area. We'll go through and we'll assess the um, the environment there and what, what's required, uh, what they want to do with it, so whether they want to mulch it and all that kind of thing. And we'll just go through and we'll check all the trees and we lift all the logs. It's pretty much just like herping. Like you go out west and you go you go for a herp and you, you go lift some, um, you know, whatever you can, try and find some cool stuff. It's, it, it's actually like almost like professional herping really like it's good fun getting paid to herp so when if you guys find something do you bag it up and then take it off site and release it like yep. relatively close yeah yeah well it, it depends on what it is like we've got uh species management plans in place where so like if you find a possum or a bat or something generally like we'll collect it but we won't release it till um till dusk just yeah you know, obviously just to like limit the stress um believe it or not like the oil companies and all these big companies like the gas companies and stuff, they have a lot of scrutiny and it's actually like done really well to keep, you know, them in line uh, mm. with that kind of stuff. Like they get a lot of pressure from environmental companies, which is a good thing. Like they need that kind of thing. And it's at a lot of the time, it's not, you're not just a box tick. Like they're actively yeah. asking you and you're supervising every machine and you're there all the time. Yeah. But, um, like they, they are doing quite well, um, you know, to give, credit to something that people probably normally don't but they are they are doing quite well with that kind of thing and trying to keep the environmental side of things um yeah obviously all crossed off it it, it is hard like go, going going out there you, you just it's just a it's a multifaceted thing like you just have to be kind of good with as many animals as you can and if you're not then you learn like real quick yeah yeah yeah, no, nah, it's um, yeah, I've heard of a few people doing that. That'd be honestly a dream job for a lot of people too, getting paid to hurt pretty much and see for see wildlife. I think a lot of <laughs> and it just getting paid down to, a pretty um, decent wage too. So yeah, well, it, it, it all just comes down to whether or not you enjoy being out west for nineteen days at a time, and if you can take the camps, and if you can take some of the guys. Like, obviously, a lot of the guys. Um, they're just like that. You, you you get it every day. Like, oh, buddy, snake catches just use a shovel like that kind of yeah. attitude. you get a lot of that but once you brush that off and 
you know, give it, give them a little bit of stick. Most of the time, most of the guys, I'd say ninety five percent of the guys out there, you know, they don't want to kill anything. They just want to, yeah. they want to do their job and go home. And um, they're always happy to watch the fauna catchers like cruise around and just, you know, run after like this tiny little snake or this all this possum because they think it's hilarious because they're just sitting in their digger and you know they're watching you wrangle a six foot eastern brown and they're just like look at this idiot what is yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> but no it, it is good but it, it, yeah it all just comes down to whether or not you can do the at the hours because it's it's big days and it's it's a lot of time um out it's there essentially the same hours as the miners pretty much isn't it same yeah place. yeah as, as long as the machines are running you're you're yeah. out there supervising uh and on call for any animal stuff like you know like i've got an eastern browns in the kitchen before and you get red yeah. bellies in some of the rooms i don't know how they get in there but yeah it, it does happen um but it's good they've got someone on site and just come and grab it yeah, yeah. that's pretty handy so when did you start with gold coast sunshine coast snake catchers um, well, I've, I've been friends with Stu obviously since we were at the zoo together. Um, yeah. and I, I still, re- I still remember we used to be cleaning, we used to clean the alligator enclosures at the zoo and he'd be on the phone the whole time. Like he would do nothing. He'd just be on the phone, like trying to organize snake calls. And, um, when he first started that, like I did, I did snake catching as well. Um, just cause it's a, it's a good, it's a good side earner, um, using your skills that you get at the zoo and you, you, um, use that you know, make a little coin on the side and you get to find some cool snakes as well. So um, yeah. I think it's, I think it was probably been maybe seven or eight years, I'd say. I've probably been like on and off doing stuff with him. Like I, yeah. I haven't done any calls in a while just because I've been working full time away. Um, but, yeah, it's probably been about seven or eight years. It's been a while. It's been a while. Time goes so quick. Yeah, it does, especially when you start getting older and you have yeah. kids. <laughs> so, so just kind of rewinding it a little bit, how did you actually get involved in the snake catching side of things and where did that start out? Like did that stem from Australia Zoo? Like is that where you got all your training for the snake catching as well and then you took that upon yourself to then start going out and doing that? Yeah, definitely. Yep. So yeah. um, with Stu, Stu starting the business while he was at the zoo as his own side gig. All um, uh, right. Yeah. And then, so so on the Sunshine Coast, there used to be there used to be two major companies. There used to be Stu's company, the Snake Catcher, twenty four seven, and uh, Richie Gilbert uh, owned Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers, which was the bit the bigger the bigger company um, originally. And then, uh, yeah, Stu ended up buying out Richie and then combining both of them into the same one. So he's just kind of he's done well. He's he's taken it from you know like a couple of calls a week. To like in summer, he'll be like he's got a whole group of guys across the whole Sunshine Coast. We'll do twenty five calls a day, easy in summer. Wow, a lot of a lot of it's just it's that perfect storm on the Sunshine Coast of where you get, you know, like <laughs> where, where you get soccer mums impacted by snakes in the suburbs, and it's just that perfect storm of. It's just, yeah, everywhere. There's snakes everywhere and they move through and people will be calling you up. And they'll be like, oh, there's this big snake on the fence. And it's like, well, you should probably just leave it. Like it's probably not doing any harm. And it's like, oh, I've got dogs and kids. And then they, they get you out to, to remove it. And generally like with, with most snake removals, like, you know, we've got permitting requirements. Generally it's just the closest available habitat. 
Um, yeah. Because there's been there's been a bit of research. I think there's someone in Brisbane doing a bit of research on uh, carpet python relocation, and um, it's actually pretty damning. It's finding that a lot of the time, in really high numbers, I think it could be like up to seventy percent. Uh, where if you relocate more than 10 kilometres away from the snake's original habitat, then they actually die. Um, yeah, right. You might have to fact check me on that, like take that with a grain of salt, but it is quite high. Uh, they are finding that that is an issue. And so obviously we don't want to do that. As We always try to say like, hey, like the snakes don't mean you any harm and all that kind of stuff. It's a bit hard to justify that kind of thing if they're in your house. Um, yeah. Like if you got you know a big red belly or something like that hanging around in a kid's room, like obviously it's it's got to be moved. But yeah, it, it's always a double edged sword. It's a double edged sword here on the coast. Like, and with with the show coming out, it's definitely in the forefront of people's minds more as well. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to kind of toss up like as well. Like I mean, it's good for business for Sue, obviously, but um, yeah, you've also got to look at is it creating fear in people to push them to get rid of of these kind of snakes um yeah so yeah it, it's yeah it's it's really hard to comment on that stuff like in in Caboolture and like my field where i am you probably get maybe five six calls a week um just it's not a, it's not a huge it's not like people are like fending off snakes every five seconds down here but um it, it's you can, you can get some big browns down here in the in the sticks and so yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool yeah no, I, I have done a little bit of spotting um, of uh, wildlife relocations and stuff down here as well. So I've done my fair share of catching brush tails and, you know, wrangling snakes and stuff like that myself. We don't have anything too crazy down this end. But, um, yeah, it used to always be a case of, you know, if you got the snake out of the person's yard or their house or whatever like that, you'd kind of check if they were still watching you and you'd almost leave them, you know, at the back door again. Not at the back door, but you'd, you'd kind of leave it close by just so you know, well, at least you're closer to home than what I could be releasing you, you know, because yeah. it is. All, all suburbs here so there's no real like you know pockets of bush within a couple of k's with a lot of places so yeah and, and we are finding it quite hard it's an ongoing battle um also with the government as well because our permitting requirement says that we can't release in national park and yeah um so i mean like they're coming from a good place with that like where you know if you have one square kilometer that already has the amount of wildlife that it can sustain and by introducing an outside force to that, uh, you do yeah. obviously change the situation. Um, but also at the same time, like if you get like a, a python from someone's house and it starts to limit the places where you can actually let it go. Like someone's going to get pretty cranky if you let it go just behind their house. Um, yeah, exactly. also, like when it comes to the council as well, the council's a bit iffy on uh, putting it on council land. So yeah, it's it's a constant battle, like as a snake catcher on the snake catcher side of things, to find good habitat so that that animal can be safe and secure, and and uh, and you feel safe that it's going to survive and and be able to do its thing. Do you find that with a few people up there, like I'm I'm going to guess that they're, they're kind of like a diamond in the rough, so to speak. But do you find that there are some people up there that are kind of like you know, oh, if you could just move it out of my house or whatever, like I don't care if it's outside, you know, it's. Yeah, with the, with the non-venomous stuff, definitely. Um, yeah. With with the carpet pythons, the green tree snakes, that kind of thing. Um, generally, a lot of people they, they just some people want it gone, but others it might be inside the house, or it might be in the roof, or it might be some. Sometimes you do get people where it's like, oh, just just leave it out the back. 
They just wanted yeah, it out yeah. of the house. Um, but most of the snake calls, like normally if you can differentiate between, you know, a green tree python and a, and a eastern brown, then you're already kind of that next tier up with understanding and you're not yeah. just like sitting on a chair, like freaking out um, that, you know, it's going to kill you and your whole family. Um, so most of the time the people that are a little bit more educated they generally are the ones that are like, oh, just leave it out the back. Like I, I let snakes go at the back of my house all the time. Like if it's close by my house, I've got bushland behind my house and I just let it go out there and, and I know, you know, because I've seen I've seen the snakes cruising around when I've gone for a walk down there. Um, the same snakes like cruising. You might see like a couple of one with a nick on the back or something and it's like an identifying mark and you'll see it cruising around out there. So that's that's pretty cool. But, yeah, definitely. With education definitely comes understanding. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so how did the actual idea of the show for Nat Geo actually come about? Was that something that you guys came up with and you pushed towards them or did they actually approach you about all that? Um, so Stu, Stu originally came up with the idea for doing some sort of show. Um, I was I was with them I was with them pretty early when we were trying to do something with a company called Associate Media. Uh, and that's uh, Dave, actually the the brown snake magnet. Um, he's from he's from Bundaberg, and um, he's got yeah this media company, and he does a lot of like filming for like fishing shows. And he's like a freelance cameraman, and um, yeah. So the so the guys they contacted uh, Stu. I, I don't know whether like who contacted who first with that project, but um, I, I jumped on board with that as well. And that that was obviously like five years ago, I think. And um, so we did a bit of filming with that, but it just just wasn't really getting anywhere. And um, and so after that, I think I think it was Dave from Associate Media contacted Screen Australia, and he sent he sent what we'd shot to a whole heap of like producers and production companies and all this kind of stuff. And I think I think only one got back to him, uh, and that was um, that was Colin Thrupp. And he was working, I think it was Screen Time, I think was the company. And, um, yeah, and so Colin came to Stu and then they hashed out a little bit of a of a deal and then we shot a like a teaser screener kind of thing over a day just with a couple of calls that we did like previously and then um, like I did actually did a, a call um, just with a red belly at one of Dave's friend's house, believe it or not, just – out of nowhere and then then I actually uh the next day I left for Tasmania and I went and spent a year and a half down in Tassie and as it was going they took that screener and they shopped it to a whole heap of places and Nat Geo I think just managed to say like yeah this 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 might work you know like this this we might be able to make something and then it's just kind of blown up from there and so it's a little odd for us um because the season that's out like you know like the the first season we actually shot that almost a year ago now. And so wow. it's been quite a long time uh, and we've yeah. just been kind of sitting on it and doing nothing. And so now, you know, like I remember I think it was like a week before the show actually came out, it was just on everyone's Instagram and the like it's funny, out in the mines they actually um, they get cable out there so they get Foxtel out there, the Lucky Ducks. And um, like my belly in the trailer because I got bitten by a carpet python in, in the show um, through my own stupidity, and um, 
it's funny because like you know we got the girls on there and the girls are all snake catching as well and you know like they're they're all like the the eye candy so to speak and then all I've got is just my big fat white gut uh, with a big <laughs> python bite on it and that's pretty much my promo photo like I. <laughs> We always laugh that the guys, we're just going to have like everyone's bio, we'll just have their faces, but mine will just be my gut with a bloody carpet snake bite on it. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty good ride. It's definitely been eye-opening to the way the industry works um, yep. because it's definitely not um, what people think, 100%. Yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't think, like I've, I've definitely learnt uh, how it all kind of rolls, and it's it's actually incredibly hard in Australia to get any show uh, off the ground here in in Australia. Like you just really you really have to kind of go overseas, and you have to go to your um like online streaming and on YouTube and you know podcasts like what you guys do and all that kind of stuff. I hundred percent that that's the future. Like it's yeah, definitely, definitely. The, future of the way uh, entertainment in this space is going. Yeah, well, that's you look at all the TV shows now. Like, there's not many series on like the normal old TV channels now because everything just goes straight to Netflix or another streaming company because it, basically everyone wants to watch it whenever they please. And if they halfway through an episode, oh, I might go to bed. You can just stop the episode, go to bed, watch it again the next night. So yeah. that's the way like media is going on, just yeah. on everything. On demand is always it's always the best. And and you know like just from the old school days of just before Netflix came to Australia and. Half the country was pirating Netflix from you know using a VPN overseas and all that kind of thing and and it it's it's well known now that that's definitely the way the media landscape is going and and just yeah. it's it, it's kind of good and kind of bad because it's it brings the budgets down which is kind of a good thing but also at the same time the companies know that and then they they'll just you know pay less so. Yeah. Um, it, it's always hard to create your own brand and all that kind of thing and, and get that underway. So it's definitely, um, we definitely feel really lucky. The fact that, and I'm, uh, part of me is, um, it's, I feel kind of bad because like my, there's so many guys out there that have got such an amazing knowledge of herp and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, and out of that, they, you know, you got some fat wanker on, uh, the show like myself and you got old mullet man Mick Bender and he's there because of his like sweet hairstyle and yeah it's it, it's definitely been a it's been a ride um hopefully it continues into the future as well so yeah it'd be good to see it kind of progresses you know obviously only the first episode's out now for everybody to watch I actually hopped on and watched it again tonight just for a bit of a refresher I was actually hoping the second one was already out but it's a good show and I like I honestly think that like there's a lot of shows out there that are pretty pretty similar but they're very over dramatized you know like you you got that yeah. um oh what's the one uh snakes in the city or whatever in south, yeah. Africa. Yeah, like, yeah, south africa you don't have to pin every snake with your hand mate like no, just, that's right. i think yeah. when when we first started like we had a little bit of a chat um like myself Stu, and a couple of the guys and we we were very upfront with the fact that we didn't want it to turn out like that. We didn't yeah. want everything to be, um, you know, like that that classic reality TV show thing of where it's just got me screaming at the camera, Stewie, no, and then it goes to an ad break and, you know, like you've got brown snakes jumping out of cupboards and like they're invading the suburbs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> like it's just, it's just not based in reality. And, yeah. and and I think like 
it, it is cool for you to like say that because like we did work hard to try and make sure that that wasn't the case. Um, Colin and the guys did a really good job with the camera work and all that kind of thing to try to make sure that it wasn't over-dramatized like that show. Because obviously, you know, you check out you check out the competition, you check out what other guys are doing. And um, it, it, was pretty, it was pretty clear that, you know, like you might have something over there. Like I, I have watched Snakes in the City and it is, well, it is entertaining to a certain aspect. Um, once you've educated yourself a little bit onto the way snakes are, you know that that's all just show. It's all smoke and mirrors. Like, huh. you know, that guy... He, he might use pinners and he might use tongs and all that kind of stuff, but also at the same time, like when the cameras aren't rolling, he's probably just cruising in there and putting the bag in front of the snake and the snake just goes, yeah, righto, and it just goes straight in. Like, Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. the other thing too is you, with your TV show as well is the other thing that will probably benefit is because <clears throat> you're Australian, so you've got that whole big like, you know, all the backpackers and everything, they're always like, oh, everything in Australia kills you. So pretty much you'll have, I reckon, a lot of people from overseas that will potentially watch the show as well and enjoy it because of all the Australian wildlife in it. Yeah, I, I never I never understand the backpacker thing where they're all, like especially like Americans and stuff and, you know, they go back and they're like, oh, you know, that's just a bear and it's like that thing is a death machine. <laughs> Look at yeah. that. Like it's just ginormous and, you know, like I love the um, one of my favourite facts is in like Alaska, it's like illegal to lock your car just in case uh, someone needs to use it to escape a polar bear. Like that's yeah. like one of my all-time favourite facts. And it just it blows my mind that they're happy just going from that to coming over here and like they're just afraid of everything but nothing's really like, you know, it's all creepy crawlies and stuff and if you just leave them alone, like they'll just leave you alone. It's Exactly. It's, and I mean I'd say probably goes for bears and wolves and all that kind of stuff as well but I think it's just, you know, you stay away from the snake you know, bears, they, they climb faster, they swim faster, they run faster. Like they're they're an apex predator. And uh, meanwhile, you got a snake and he goes out three or four metres into the garden and he's waving around to make himself look like a big unit just so a kookaburra doesn't eat him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. So with your shooting, like have you got multiple film crews or are they just kind of like they, they pick like who they're going to go with each day? Yeah, we, we, we do have – we've got a filming like – schedule so um basically if we so if we need more it just basically runs on what we need so if we need more footage of say olivia uh and stew uh then they'll be on for that day um like or like jess like so um jess in season one uh, Jess, unfortunately, she had a bit of work on, so she couldn't really get there for a lot of the time. Uh, and when we did, I did some calls with Jess, and I actually missed every brown snake that we got. Every every snake call we got, I missed the snake, uh, and Jess missed the snake as well. And so we can't really use that footage if we um, if we <laughs> if we rock up and we just look like useless gumbies that don't know what we're doing. Um, it's not really, it doesn't really make that good at TV. So it's just, it all comes down to requirements of, yeah, what, of what kind of footage they need. Like Mick, Mick and Dell, obviously they run their own uh, rig. They also run a wildlife demonstrating business called Wildlife Unleashed. Um, yeah. So a little bit of plug there for you, Miko. Um, they will definitely be listening to this. I think <laughs> I saw that sure. on my Facebook page earlier today. Yeah, yeah. That, so they've just started. They, they, um, they've left the zoo now as well and uh they're starting their own demonstrator business and they're doing like kids parties and stuff they've got like um yeah. 
they got a couple of they got a couple of lace monitors. Um, and Mick, Mick goes right into his Veno as well. He's got some type hands and all that kind of thing as well. So, um, but yeah, they're they're real good. But they 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 like they're that that couple. They're like a wildlife couple. Yeah, um, so that they're. they're like they love it. They love it. Like their house is a madhouse. I have no idea how they do it. You rock up over there and everything just feels so stressful. Like, oh, I've got to feed all the birds and I've got to clean out the, the herb cages and, you know, feed the horse and, oh, my goodness, couldn't think of anything worse than having to do, you know, the zoo job at home. Um, but, yeah, no, they do really well, uh, those guys, and they're, they're just they're great people as well. Like that, that's the one thing I think. As well, like in the show, and it do, it kind of does come across that the chemistry that all of us have together when we are together, like as a big group, is amazing because we all know each other and we've all known each other for like you know seven years or so. Um, so we all love taking a piss out of each other, and I cop the brunt of it for the most part, but I love it. Like it's it's it is what it is. So there's nothing like that Australian banter. Actually, while we are yeah. talking about banter, I had to ask, was Mick's mullet part of his contract deal with this or is that like a genuine mullet? <laughs> oh, it's funny. When they originally when they originally were looking for cast for the show, they, ba- they basically put a call out and they said, um, just make a three-minute video of yourself. Um, there's a good chance that those videos will probably make it into some outtakes or something eventually. God, I hope not. <laughs> I um. But Mick, Mick's video was classic, Mick. Um, but yeah, his his hair. I'm pretty sure his hair is a request from Adele. Like Adele loves the mullet. Eh? I don't know what's wrong with that girl, but um, yeah, she she loves the mullet and and Mick owns it. Like he's he's such a genuine Aussie bloke. Like I used to actually live with those guys in their granny flat out the back before I bought my house. And um, yeah, I, Mick would be mowing the lawn at like. 8 30 at night like he is a crazy man uh <laughs> and he'd just be out there like with a, a beer and some stubbies and no shirt on just with this wild mullet out the back just on the right on lawnmower just cruising around at 8 30 at night so I'm yeah sure, sure M- the neighbors M- love that oh yeah <laughs> no nah, M- M- mick is mick is about as genuine as it comes i don't think he, i don't think he'd be in a contract at all but uh, he he played a bit of a joke on all of us a while back where he showed a picture and he just had a shower and he'd actually um it looked like he'd shaved it off and yeah. he was like oh yeah guys just just letting you know like I just thought it was a bit of a change and uh, then he posted a video of him like <laughs> afterwards and, and Stu Stu actually panicked for a little bit he was just like have you have have you actually shaved it because I, I'm gonna have to let Nat Geo know. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was like main selling point for sure. It's pretty iconic Australian haircut, the mullet, isn't it? Oh, it is, and, and you you know you know that it's reaching the peak when it's in the footy as well. Like it seems like yeah. every second or third like footy player now has a sweet mullet. Uh, yeah, so they're coming back now, aren't they? Oh, they are. They are. It's, it's always funny to try and pick the trends. I remember my mum used to tell me that the the trends are always recycled. And so now yeah. we're at the 80s. Pretty soon grunge is going to be back, so get on board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have to grow my hair out again. Yeah, that's it. I don't don't have the option, unfortunately. I could go like no. super slick with a real dirty mullet at the back. <laughs> there's, not, there's always a nice quality amount of wigs. I reckon we yeah. get a sweet mullet wig. Oh, yeah, I probably could actually. It's a nice business idea for Mick, I reckon. He should sell Mick-branded mullet wigs. Yeah. <laughs> 
I tell you, that was a pretty thick um, carpet they pulled out of that fridge, though. That oh, thing was man. a monster. Yeah. The, uh, we, we do get some, like, so carpet pythons are probably about 70% of the snake calls that we do. A lot, like, yeah. a, a lot of people don't realize that the venomous stuff um, is really rare to begin with. And venomous stuff inside houses is ultra, ultra rare. Like, I, I can probably count like under 10 of times where I've done a venomous snake call inside a house. Uh, yeah. It's almost always carpet pythons. And, you know, the, the snakes are, they're a lot like people. Like, some of them are cool and some of them are jerks. And um, a lot of the times, you get like the really old, they're not cranky, but they're just, most of the time they're pretty chill when they're, when they're a bit older. And so, yeah, that I remember the one, um, the one, one snake call that I did a while back and um, it was a huge carpet python, like just over three meters for sure. And he was super thick and it was at a piggery uh, just at the back of Mullaney and it had killed 14 piglets in uh, a month ago. And it was just like, wow. Like I, I couldn't believe oh, yeah. that the farmer even wanted it removed. Like most of the time, those kind of guys, they're just like, you know, just take trouble to it. Yeah, yeah. They, they sure. especially like if it's Good. creating a monetary deficit in your business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like he he was just like, nah, I don't want to kill it, mate. Just just get rid of it. He was he was really down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they were in a, so, in a confined space, so yeah. Have you guys come across any, like, obviously captive animals? So, like, you might come across, say, like, stuff that's not found in that area? This is, <laughs> yes. And funnily enough, my very first snake call was a bradylia python. Yeah. Um, and to show, you know, like, I'm, I'm always one to show my, um, my ex- inexperience sometimes, and I actually released it um, <laughs> accidentally. Uh, funnily enough, I got the same snake uh, probably about a year later. I'd say probably a hundred meters away in um, in a house in a garage, and it was definitely the same snake because it definitely had some. Like I took pictures of it because I remember um, going like, "This is this is the most beautiful carpet python I think I've ever seen." And um, yeah, bagged her up and and let it go. And I called Stu and I was like, "There you go, mate. First snake call that I've ever done, done and dusted." And I send him the picture, and he's like, "Mate, have you got that snake?" And I was like, "Oh no, I just released it." He's like, "You're an idiot." <laughs> and I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, it's clearly a bread lie." And I was like, "Oh no, oh no." <laughs> and um, yeah, I never lived that down with the boys. He went and told all the boys at the zoo, uh, and I never lived that down ever again. Um, but yeah, we, we we have gotten a couple of bradylies. It seems to be it seems to be mostly yeah the centralians and stuff. You do get some jungle, but it's mostly yeah carpet python varieties um, that you do get a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, not not really. Most of the time. Like I said, most of the stuff inside's rare, so it's mostly carpet python varieties. But yeah, definitely, I'd say hmm, probably about fifty over the years uh, between like me, Stu, and all that kind of stuff. We've gotten some pet snakes and had to put posts up, uh, and then a yeah. lot of the time they just get surrendered. Uh, also, I think we we do get a fair few snake calls where police uh, they might raid a questionable house and they find illegal reptiles. 
Um, yeah. And it does happen. It is a little bit of an issue because um, it's like, you know, a lot of a lot of the crims, they just love reptiles. They love drugs and reptiles. So, um, yeah, they you go in there and, you know, they'll just have like heaps and the coppers don't know what to do with them. So they just call a snake catcher. Yeah. I've had a few animals over the years. Actually, I've got one still here that's from a um, originally from a raid. So, you know, yep. they eventually just go through the network and obviously they can't be released again because God knows where mm. they actually came from. And, you know, they don't want to risk any sort of quarantine issues or anything like that either, depending if they're yeah. having it. So It's definitely one of those things that more people don't realise that's, you know, semi-common. Like it does happen. Yeah. And, and, and because with reptiles as well, like reptiles seem to attract the, you know, poachers and all that kind of stuff for some reason. I don't know why. Like people just love, they just love reptiles, hey? Yeah, so, yeah, but I don't know why they go hand in hand like that, but unfortunately, it's just the way that it goes, I guess. But um, yeah, down here in Sydney, you get some pretty interesting snake callouts every now and then. It's always fun to watch the Sydney snake catchers pulling out boas and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, seems to be a lot of those kind yeah. of things going around. We we had one of those things on the Gold Coast recently where a um yeah a red tail boa constrictor was making the rounds around. I don't think they ever found it. Um, but I yeah, they, remember hearing someone, about that. Actually. Yeah, someone snapped a picture of it, um, and I remember Tony Harrison. Uh, we do we, we get along quite well with Tony. He was he was cruising around. He was on the case. Um, they did a bit of a piece on the ABC for it, but I don't think we ever are uh, they ever got it. Yeah, he does some good YouTube videos, Tony. Actually, of just like his day to day with his GoPro or whatever like that out there. I always enjoy sitting down and watching a few of his callouts every now and then, and you know. Yeah, he's he's pretty- He's pretty good at educating the public too, I think. Like you know, considering he's just on the fly sort of thing, he does pretty well. Yeah, and no, I was um I was flabbergasted when he got bitten by that like little juvie Eastern Brown, and he he pretty much just followed filmed the whole thing. Like we we do have a rule uh, on the show where if something bad does happen, uh, camera guys just yeah that we never stop filming um, just in case. Uh, obviously, we don't promote that kind of thing. Accidents do happen. Um, yeah. but yeah, that we, we rarely stop filming with that kind of thing just, just in case. Cause you know, it, it does make good TV and, and I think with Tony as well, because I do know that he is allergic to Eastern Brown venom. He's been tagged a couple of times, uh, and he knows in himself, like he knows that if he's been bitten by one of them, he's in a lot of trouble. Uh, yeah. and for the fact that he kept and he did film the whole thing and he kind of filmed the process as well, which I think is quite important on, you know, respect to him filming the process like in hospital and all that kind of stuff because a lot of people don't see that. Uh, a lot exactly. of people don't see the the repercussions of what happens if you mess around with these animals uh, and that's obviously extremely, you know, it can, it can be extremely dangerous in the, in the back end when you even get to hospital. Like I've heard stories of, of doctors and nurses, they've had someone come in and they've been bitten by a snake and, you know, they start unraveling the, they start unraveling your compression bandage and, you know, the, the person knows, like, please don't do that. I, I don't want yeah. to die. <laughs> yeah. Releasing uh, it yeah. too early. Yeah. No, it's – um. Have you, have you had any sort of, like, close calls yourself? Uh, nothing of anything with substance. Um, you, you always get – it's funny, like, when you first – it's the same with the crocs. Like, when you, when you first start out with dangerous animals – Things that would, when you first start out, would really scare you. Uh, they don't necessarily scare you as much, or you know your limits, so you can kind of push yourself a little bit, like as you um, get things. But I mean, obviously, accidents do happen. Like I've never, I've been bitten by carpet pythons plenty of times. Like I mean, I got, I get bitten on the show and it's on the trailer. Um, but yeah, that 
that, that kind of thing. That was my own stupidity. Like I was just transferring the snake. Uh, we caught so many snakes that day. I was transferring it from a hoop bag into a pillowcase. And, um, yeah, he just happened to not be a fan and smash me right on the gut. And, um, yeah, we weren't filming or anything. Like I had my GoPro running. Uh, we normally always do. Um, had that running and, yeah, just happened to catch that. But, yeah, like I've been bitten by carpet pythons on the hand and, you know, like at the zoo you do get bitten a fair bit. Um, nothing nothing of of anything scary, obviously, but um, like I, I was training – just to be handled like I was handling diamond python juveniles every morning during the meeting and they'd, they'd bite the hell out of me, like, you know, through the whole meeting and eventually the thing, your hand's all bloody, but, you know, it heals up in a couple of hours and, you, and you're all sweet. Um, but, yeah, that, that kind of stuff happens a fair bit at the zoo. Like it, it's definitely um, a little bit different to a government zoo. Uh, you can kind of get away with a little bit more stuff like that and handling uh, kind of thing because obviously it's better for you to get bitten than it is for a member of the public to get bitten. So uh, by putting them through that kind of training and trying to get them a little bit used to being handled, it, it comes out better in the end. Yeah. I have to say when I was watching that um, that episode, and the you know, the promo where you do get bitten on the guts or whatever like that and you're like, oh, I got bitten on my favourite bit or whatever like that. <laughs> I, was half, I was eating my dinner and half blew it out my nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was so funny, that section, because I said, you know, like I was, I was after I got bit, I was so embarrassed for one. Like I was just talking to Stu and because he held on as well. Like he didn't just bite and let go. He held on. I thought we were going to have to break out the credit cards and try and like get him off me without, you know, leaving all his teeth in my belly. Um, but, yeah, like I said, a whole heap of things and pretty much the guys just like edited it right down to just that one teaser and that was it. Like that, And that's just gone out and it's on every single promo and like the girl, the girls from um, Disney when they were talking about the stuff in that geo, like they were laughing and like they were loving it. And I, I felt like such an idiot. I felt like such an idiot. It's, I mean, it, it does happen, but yeah, it's just, it's like, it's like just having a picture taken of you on the toilet or something. That's what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> that's all in good fun though at least you're a happy guy to kind of you know accept the banter and accept the fun out of it you know like it'd be only yeah you made a lot out of it so oh i don't think um i don't think anyone in australia can have a a snake show and not expect a little bit of banter in return let's be honest the uh (laughs) a lot of the time the reptile industry can be pretty rough on itself um but yeah these kind of thing happen and you know it it is what it is I think I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy. I'm always happy to be the the dickhead of the group. Definitely. <laughs> there always needs to be one, though. Yeah, <laughs> there has to be. Well, it's a pretty colourful group of people, though. Like it's you yeah. know, it's a very. You seem like you're all pretty diverse in that sort of sense. Right yeah, now. that that's definitely the one the one thing that we um that we really enjoy is that we're all different. And, you know, like we, we did a big promo day where we shot all the photos and we did all that kind of thing uh, and all like the voiceover stuff that we were, that they're doing in the advertising. And um, yeah, like we had so much fun on that day. We were like, Oh, can we just do this every day? Like this is so much fun. Like, cause we're all just, you know, taking the piss out of each other. And we had like all the banter and well, at the same time being professional about it, but yeah, we, we just loved it. And we, we all, like I said, we all, we all get along. We all know each other outside of like outside of doing this kind of thing. Mm. So it, it helps like Jess, Jess in the show. Um, 
she's a fauna spotter as well. Like I, I work with her doing some solar farms out west and Olivia, obviously she's from Creek to Coast um, and she also does Discovery Kids and so she's got TV stuff. But, yeah, like we all know each other and we all like, uh, we all like party together as well. Like we'll have beers and we'll all go out. Like Mick lives 10 minutes down the road from where I am and we'll probably be at the sports club like next week and just sit in the bar having beers, you know. Like it's mm. it's good being tight in like that. And and then it shows in the show. Yeah. So when you when they edit the, the episodes, do you guys have a say in what goes in, what doesn't? Or basically they just come out film and then you just kind of don't see it till it's all edited and put together? Um, no, yeah, we, we don't have a say in it at all. It's, 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 I had to come to grips with that. Um, it's a bit scary to be honest, because at the end of the yeah. day, well, like it is also your personality, you're, you're putting yourself out there. So you're kind of at the whim. And I do remember this was a, probably a big thing, um, with old mate, what's that show? Um, I think it was Married at First Sight where old mate was like actually a nice guy and the producers pulled him off as like this total wanker. Um, and now I just realised that I outed myself as watching Married at First Sight. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like it, it, you are definitely like in these kinds of shows you are definitely at the whim of the producer and of the editor. Uh, and, yeah. that, and that can be really confronting as well, especially just because, you know, if, if it does go well and a lot of people do see it, then you are, um, yeah, you, 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 you're trusting them to not make you look like a dickhead. Uh, but if you act like a dickhead already, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different to like, you know, Jason, myself, like I, I put myself out there on YouTube and obviously doing the podcast and stuff like that. But at a moment's drop, I can just be like, no, nah, I don't like that. I just don't put it out there. You know, it's easy to do that. Yeah. But, you know, you guys are signed on the dotted line and signed your lives yeah. away for essentially be yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and it's, um, you know, like, like I said, it's definitely a learning experience and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, you have to get used to it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, so. I, yeah. Because I mean, like you, you often hear that quite a bit with different shows. You know how they've been portrayed and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I do a catching snake, so there's probably not really too much they can mess around with. With you know your personality no. and all that, it kind of all comes to comes I to light so. anyway. I think as well, like it, it can make or break people. Like a lot of people, they they're extremely uncomfortable with that. Like you just, I, I'm definitely the kind of person where I just kind of own it. Um, like with, with the snake bite, like I just, I just owned it. Like it, it, it is what it is. Like it happens. And as long yeah. as no one kind of puts you out there, like I'm always the first one to take the piss out of myself and, and always admit that there's always someone that's a better snake catcher or someone that's got more knowledge than you. And especially me, like I'm, I'm like, I got trained at Australia Zoo. Australia Zoo, I feel like is sometimes referred to as the McDonald's of zoos. And, um, so yeah, like. It, it is it is what it is. Like I definitely push the entertainment side of things more than I do for the knowledgeable side. I leave that to guys like my friends, you know, like he reads uh, Wilson and Swan like back to back and he can tell you, you know, everything about all that kind of stuff, like all the amazing herp stuff. And he's like my go-to. Like if I'm, if I'm struggling with an ID or I find something that I've got no idea about, I always go to him because those guys always have their place in the industry is yeah. definitely – like it's 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 almost like there's a split like between the people that push the entertainment side of things more and the people that are just super super knowledgeable uh, and you know like there's always in betweens but yeah th- there's definitely room for all I think. Hundred percent. 
Yeah. Speaking about IDing things, that kind of is going to lead me into a bit of a question. Have you got that, like much herping under your belt or is that something that you actually do on the side as well? Um, I'm pretty lucky because I kind of get to herp for a job. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like they're a bit strict with that kind of stuff out there. Like you can't really leave camp um, like at night and just go for like a herp, you know. Um, yeah. Just, just from the safety side of things, um, but yeah, like we've done some herp expeditions and stuff. Like we, we always love cruising around the Brigalow Belt, like St George. We try to find St George Mulgars, um, that kind of thing. Like obviously things like grey snakes, all that kind of stuff. Like just like really cool stuff that's super like rare and it's kind of unique to that to that area. Um, but most of the time when I travel, I try to include some sort of animal-related stuff. So, uh, like, I just got back. I went up to Cairns and Cape Tribulation for a holiday um, not too long ago. And, you know, like, we're all, like, myself and my missus, like, we love animals and all that kind of thing. So we're looking for, we went on the croc tours, like the ones that are, you know, more natural, no no jumping croc tours or anything, but things like cassowaries and uh, we saw, like, the Australia's smallest kangaroo, uh, at Cape Trib. So like just things like that's pretty cool. And, and I, I just have a love for animals in general, but not specifically um, like going somewhere for snakes. Um, yeah. A lot of the time I try to keep the snake side of things a little bit uh, away just because that's what I do for work. Uh, no one yeah. really likes to do their work um, as like fun as well. Like I'm kind of lucky in that respect where, being the fauna spot, being a fauna spotter is almost like herping pretty much. Like you're cruising out. I mean, you normally only find the same animals. Like found, I think the last snake I found it, there was a spotted black, uh, which is which was pretty cool because I've only seen like, you know, maybe one or two of them before. So even that kind of thing, like it's still fresh, still pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I suppose, you know, if you're getting paid to do it, then I wouldn't waste my time otherwise as well. You know, you're kind of already spending, you know, eight to 12 hours a day or whatever going and doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, probably a lot of people's dream job. I know I'd love to do it. I'd rather, I'd, if, I, if I could get paid to do that, I'd quit my job in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, man, it's like I said, fauna spotters are at the moment, like there's a lot of work on. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, fauna spotters around these days. Cause a lot of people use it. Cause yeah, like it, it is good money. Like definitely admit that. Like, but a lot of guys use that uh, to use that to fund their own business ideas and their own, like their own thing. So, you know, like some of the guys, they start like their tour companies or they might start, start their own environmental company and all that kind of thing. It, it, it is a good, it's a good uh, spring off position to do whatever you're, you're passionate about um, whilst also getting money. Like that's a thing, like a lot of the time, a lot of the zoos and you kind of underneath them, uh, it's hard for you to express yourself and to get out and do your own thing when you're underneath that regime. And so by doing that and doing your own thing and having the money to back yourself, you can kind of get out there and do that. Did you find that the same at SeaWorld as well when you were there, like that you were kind of really under the belt there, so to speak, or, or like you were, you didn't kind of have that room to grow there so much? Um, not as much. I, I, I think the, the difference between Australia Zoo and SeaWorld, SeaWorld, like the role that I was doing there was a little bit more of a, like, it's like an underwater labourer. Like you're really, like you're a zookeeper to a certain extent, but you're like a, it's 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 not as like, 
knowledge-based. Like you, you obviously learn the sharks, you learn the fish, you learn behaviours, you learn all the same stuff you would as like that any zookeeper would. Uh, but you're not really pushed uh, to do your own thing. Uh, at least when I was there, like I was still quite young. I still do shifts there every now and then now. Um, yep. Like I'm still on the books there. So um, every now and then like I will I will rock up and, and I'll do some shifts there. And it's good to just get underwater and hang with the sharks like because they're such peaceful animals. Like they just cruise around all day and do their own thing. And, and then as soon as something tips them off, they just go and smash some fish in front of you and scare the crap out of you. Um, but yeah, like the, I definitely think that it was it was more of a push to do that at Australia Zoo than there was at SeaWorld, just because of the entertainment factor. Um, yeah. A lot of the crocodile handler guys there, they're doing the shows. That you know, like they're going out, they're feeding crocs in front of six thousand people, and that pushes them into that sphere of entertainment, um, as opposed to like the knowledge side of things and 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 the actual zookeeping stuff. I always used to say to the guests there that. Um, yeah, like 5% of what you see there, like at the show and all that kind of stuff is the actual role. 95% of it's like picking up poo and, and trimming enclosures and building fences and all that other stuff. Yeah, it's the stuff you don't see that's kind of the majority of the work, <clears throat> all the not pretty stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's still, yeah, it's still kind of good to just work with some of those animals though. I've, always, oh, well, I've never, I've never been to Australia Zoo personally, so I've always yeah. Been to go there. It, well, it's funny. Like I'd never actually been there before I started working there, and yeah, um, right. I, I, I did. Like I said, I, I did enjoy my time there. I did used to love the shows. I did used to love training, uh, like the working with the crocodiles as well, because a lot of people think that the crocs are tame and all that kind of stuff just because they've been there for so long. But those crocs. Like they they will kill you. Like they are very yeah. serious business, and especially um, a lot of the the crocodiles there are all graded. All the snakes are graded, um, and as you guys know, in captivity, uh, a lot of the time, some people can get quite complacent, and it's it's unfortunate that incidents do sometimes happen. Obviously, nothing like big, um, yep. but you know, every now and then something will happen, and you'll be like, "Ooh, that was." That was bad. That was uncomfortable. That's I won't do that again. Uh, and a lot of the time, it comes down to the fact that the crocs, the crocs especially, they've just got time on their hands. They're so lazy. They just chill out and they can watch you go through the same uh, path and they learn behaviors. Like they're just that next level up. Like they're they're smart. They know what's going on. They watch you go through. You might pull a mower through the same section that's really tight to the water. They might watch you do it a thousand plus times, and that thousand and first time. They're there waiting and you know, they strike out of the water and they miss you, but you still crap your pants and run away and jump the fence and you're just like, holy moly. And then the crocs are just like, yeah, that didn't work. I might try again in the next maybe two years. <laughs> and then you, just, like, you just know it's coming. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's 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 good. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps you always thinking about your own safety and what you're going to do and where you're going to go in a pressure situation. Yeah, they definitely seem like the ultimate ambush predator, right? Like at the end of the day, they they just have that next level of intelligence as far as reptiles are concerned, and the fact that they just seem so patient—that's the thing that's scary about them. 
Oh, 100%. And and they, it's at the zoo because it's a captive environment. They also see you not so much as food, but they see you as a threat to their territory because that that's like in the show, that's what you're getting is a territorial response from them. They're not really too fussed on the, on the food. Like those guys could, some of those crocs there could probably go for like three years without being fed and that'll be sweet. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of the time it's defending their territory. They go out, they try to they try to get you, uh, and they get the the food as the consolation prize. Um, but yeah, like you can see it in their eyes. Like if you slip over, like I've I've seen uh, some of the guys. I've been backing them up, and they've slipped over in front of the croc, like just a little bit, and you can see the croc's eyes, like whoosh, like they they uh, they know they know that you've made a mistake and they're trying to capitalize on that and 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 it does it is a next level intelligence with that kind of thing yeah that's mental I, I just couldn't see myself ever doing anything like that like i've done a bit of work with venomous snakes and i've had enough of that already so <laughs> to kind of go and work with those big big swamp lizards yeah yeah i'd actually i'd actually like probably pick the crocs over working with veno just because the veno you're, it's on their terms and they're so quick. Like those snakes are, can be so quick, uh, especially like when you start working with like the taipans and, and they got some cobras there. Like the female cobra at Australia Zoo, I'm not too sure whether she's on display. She's probably about nine foot. She is the scariest animal that I've ever seen. Like she's so intimidating and she's just completely hooded up and she can just push boundaries and you just got to be on your toes the whole time, at least with the crocs. Like you're in a big open enclosure there might only be one animal in there and you know that if you mess up, like, you know, you, you're going to probably die. And so with the snakes, like you might just be going about your business and cleaning on the other side of the enclosure and then like they'll just be straight over to you and you're like hands up and you're back away and, yeah, they're just super, super scary. Like it, it's good. It gives you gives you hard nipples, that's for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, nah. I, just, I can't process, like, even just being able to do that. Like, you, I mean, I've, I went to Fog Dam, what, 2019? And, like, I know it's a very different setting in the zoo where you've got kind of like that nice clarity water and stuff like that. But, you know, being in a space where all of a sudden you can't see anything, you're like, oh, I could get pretty close. I reckon I could grab that water python. And then, like, you just see a couple of eyes or something pop out of the the water you just go no fuck that (laughs) i'm not going near that oh when you're working with the crocs as soon as you have that thought like oh i could probably the answer is no (laughs) (laughs) it's automatically reverts to a no yeah so i'd i'd prefer to work with crocs and venomous snakes i think just purely how quick some of those venomous snakes are i'm not saying crocs aren't quick but i agree I, i kind of think in the sense that like I, you, you'd be able to correct us here, Chris, but I think venomous snakes are just less predictable, right? Like you can kind yep. of know what a croc's thinking most of the time and kind of be able to work around it. But yeah, yeah, there's there's always um, there's definitely always like outliers to that kind of thing. It depends on the yep. crocodile, depends on the attitude. Like like I said, all the crocs are graded. Uh, there's a croc at the zoo, Charlie. He used to be one of the uh, crocodiles that Steve used to work with. He's a, uh, he's a level seven crocodile, which means he looks past the food. He thinks on his feet. Uh, like he's doing whatever he can to get you. Uh, whereas the smaller crocodiles, um, like there's a, cro- a crocodile there, my favourite crocodile actually, Scrapper, who's the son of Agro. 
the the famous aggro. Um, you know, like you could we could probably like if if we did have an accident, you could probably take him down, like not down down, but like you could wrestle him to the ground with two people. Um, yeah, that know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, like Crocs to a certain extent. You can kind of, you know, like 99 times out of 100, you can definitely like know what's going to happen. Um, but it's just that outlier and that's why it's such a risk is because, you know, they they do have the size and they've got everything uh, in, their, in their playbook to be able to take you out if they need to. Whereas with a snake, slight accident, like, and a slight misjudgment and a slight bit of complacency and, you know, you've got, two teeth marks on your hand and you're on the way to hospital. And and it's happened before. Like guys have been bitten at the zoo and they've jumped in the ambo and they've spent the night in hospital for sure. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Like I obviously love both like kinds of animals definitely. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think I'd always probably pick the crocs as well just because, yeah, snakes, snakes when they're really on and they're like, you know, super food motivated or they're just really just cranky, they, yeah, they'll sort you out real quick if they have to. Yeah, when I like I did my <laughs> massive day of handling course for my wildlife group that I was with, and uh, yeah, they it was, it was a really hot day. It was probably like a thirty-two degree day or something like that. And the last thing to come out of the bags were the eastern browns, yeah. and like they'd, they'd been heating up for a fair whack of time out there. And I tell you what, I needed new undies after that because those things were so bouncy. Like they were, you'd get them into a hoop bag or whatever, and they'd be shooting out the top of it again. Like so many guys had to drop the hoop bag because the heads were back at their hands, sort of thing. Like within minutes, yeah. it was. And it's always a good thing with those kind of with those kind of um, you know learning learning ability there, where <clears throat> like people need to see that because that's what the wild snakes are really like. Like they mm. are, they think that they're fighting for their life. And so they're given yeah. it 120 And uh, a lot of the time people, you know, they get those courses and they they see the captive snakes and then they go out and they try the wild stuff and it is next level because they're just not, especially with browns, like, you know, red bellies are pretty complacent, that kind of thing. And But, yeah, as soon as you start pushing in with brown snakes, they're almost always ready to push back. And that's that's what people definitely need to realise with those courses is it's probably a good thing that they were so hot and that they were like real uppity and all that kind of thing because it you know it sets you up for success. Yeah, it was it was a funny day because like you know you start out with things like your red bellies and that and I was like okay I think I'm getting this so this is pretty good like you're tailing these things and getting them into bags and you know it was still warm then but I think they were a lot easier and then you know I was digging what was I digging? I can't remember what it was. It was another black snake. I think it was like the blue belly or whatever they're called. Like the um, uh, what do you call it? Spotted black. Yeah, spotted black. Um, and yeah, like he was okay. I was digging him out of a wood pile, but man, as soon as those browns came out, and there was something else that I had band bandit was a Stevens bandit or something like that. That was a pretty pretty aggro snake as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I like the death adder. It was just like a sausage on a hook into a bag. I was like, yeah, oh. that's that's my jam. Death adders are my spirit animal. Like they just sit around and wait for food to come to them. Like to you, like it's great. Yeah. There's a there's a death adder at Australia Zoo that every single time we feed it, it scares me because they move just so quick. Like you just you're never ready for it, no matter what. Like you've got the little pinky on the on the tongs, and it just like just explodes out of nowhere. And you're like, how can something that so like short and chubby just be so quick? over such a short distance like it's just so scary oh lightning quick 
the mm. fastest strike, aren't they, out of any snake? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, spe- crazy. speaking about Death Adders, one of my mates, he was up in Karingua not too far from me not too long ago. Oh, I think it was this weekend, actually. And he actually found one day basking. It was the first time. I'm like, And this guy goes out like all the time, all the yep. time. It's like this is the first time I've ever seen one actually day basking and he almost trod on it. He didn't even see it because it was that just yeah. camouflaged. And, yeah, yeah, I've managed to um I've managed to her I found a um a death adder before. Funnily enough, uh I was out herping with Mick and a friend of ours, Hunter. And um yeah, we went out and we found a death adder basking on the side of the road uh, at night. I think it was about nine o'clock at night. It was just sitting there soaking up a little bit of heat, uh just outside of St. Jo- outside St. George. Uh, and it was, yeah, a great, nice-looking grey form Death Adder. It was pretty cool. Never seen yeah. one in a while before. Like, I was stoked. Yeah, they're, they're like yeah, my – they're my go-to one every year is to try to find a couple of different Death Adders because we get the grey and the red form down here in Sydney. So hopefully Jason and I will find a couple this year once we're finally out of our lockdown out here. Yeah. Oh, it must be hard – hard for reptile enthusiasts they can't go herping they can't do anything like that they just gotta hang out at home and just read non-stop wilson and swan yeah much. I, I just go for essential walks they yeah. just happen to be in the yeah. bush so and just yeah and just come back with a whole heap of snakes <laughs> yeah this is it's all essential guys it's all essential snake snake catching Got my photos. Yeah, uh, it's um. Actually, stumbled across a diamond python the other day. I was out collecting a couple of sticks for some enclosures and managed to. It was just in the middle of the path, and I was like, "Oh, this is just handing it to me." I, was, I wish it was this easy all the time. It's so cool. Like diamond pythons are one of my favorite snakes. Like I love them. Uh, whenever I go to Sydney, like I'm always keen to try and find diamonds down there. Like it's amazing. Yeah, I, I was honestly really lucky too because it was a real cracker for my area as well. Like you don't usually get yeah, it was. bright colours. Yeah, it was, that's, it, that's like something from my way, that diamond. Yeah, the old Gosford locality. Yeah. So, so mm. Love it. But no, uh, you get like obviously you said, you know, you get like a massive amount of carpet pythons up there. Can you just kind of elaborate on how variable those guys are in like colours and patterns? Because my understanding is you get like a hell of a range of them. Oh, definitely. Like the, the, I, I normally run with just no two snakes look the same. They, they hundred percent like they. You can get um like beautiful. I, I think a lot of it as well. Like I reckon no scientific basis behind it whatsoever but i reckon there are definitely um some snakes that are like you know bread and all that kind of stuff that are breeding with the local carpets and like definitely getting different colorations because i've seen some super super dark carpet pythons that you know like they're almost black they look they look like uh one like a snake you know from up north and yeah it, it Definitely, like, each different, like, but you can also get ones that are, like, super, super white. Like, not white, but, like, that really, really blonde look uh, carpet python. And it's it's almost like we got, um, I, don't, I can't remember whether it made the show, but we we rocked up to a call and we found a, um, we found a uh, night tiger. So a uh, um, brown, uh, brown tree snake. And it was, like, almost like albino. And so there's definitely, um, yeah, it was like, it was glowing. Like it was a beautiful snake. Um, but yeah, like there, there's such a wide variety of all those kind of stuff. And I mean, it's, it's the same with the brown snakes as well. Like the brown snakes, are, 
no two snakes are the same. Like a lot of the time you see that creamy head with those big scales and you can kind of tell, but, you know, like I've seen like ones that are almost pure black uh, yeah. up here as well. Like it's just, it's really cool to see the different coloration and stuff. And it's, it, it is always interesting to see the kinds of carpa python patterns that you get. Uh, one big thing that I definitely started noticing a lot more is the stubby tail. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of the carpa pythons up here have stubby tails. So just behind their cloaca, uh, I just have no tail left. So I don't know whether it's from a predator or it's been like a car or something's, um, something's knocked it off or they've just been like born like that for some reason. Like, but that's definitely a noticeable trait that I'm seeing more and more. Yeah. My theory is it's like maybe it's a bit of retained shed or something like that that's kind of docked it over time. You know, it just keeps not being able to shed that off and then eventually it just gets gets docked. So that diamond python that I found the other day actually had the same sort of thing where it was a little bit short in the tail. It didn't have that kind of prehensile tip on it. But yep. That's my theory anyway because I don't know about up there, but it always looks like it's like really nicely rounded, like it's a clean yeah. – like there's no sort of like bit of bone hanging out or or anything no, like that. No, right. it's always very clean. It's never, yeah, it's never like, and it's always nicely healed over a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, I found one up my way that was the same, a diamond. Yeah, it's, it's almost like it'd been like cut off properly, like amputated properly. Like there was no, like you said, no bone or anything like that. But um, yeah, it was. I remember seeing. I'm like, what, what the heck? Like I pulled it out. I'm just coming out, coming out. I was in someone's house, and I just. Yeah, I was like, what the flip? There's no tail on the end of it. But I think you're right. I think it was probably the same reason, like a retained shed or something like that. So It's only mm-hmm. a theory, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, makes I've sense though. Them, but that have been it's flattened good. as well. Yeah, I'm subscribing exactly. to it 100%. Yeah. But even like the – like because obviously I follow the your guys' Instagram page as well. Some of the, the pythons that they get up there, you'd almost think that they were like selectively bred for the colour. Yeah, yeah, they look beautiful. They absolutely yeah. look stunning. Uh, the, 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 I do enjoy the carpet pythons because it's a little bit more relaxed. You can you can kind of like you know muck around with the client. You can have a chat and kind of give them a little bit of teaching and all that kind of thing. It's not just like panic central sweating trying to get something in the in the bag. It's you can yeah have a bit of a joke around with it. Yeah, no, but there because I, I saw I think it was a while ago. There was like an almost a pure. It had like a stripe, like a perfect stripe down its back the whole way. It almost looked like it was line bred for the for, for stripes. Mm. Yeah, so good, so amazing, and and I'm sure like as the interbreeding and stuff, if it is happening and it happens a little bit more often, that that those colors will continue, you know, down the line because they're going to breed and they're going to create even more colors down the line as well. Hmm. But yeah, um, keen to watch the next episode though. That's that eight thirty. It is, doesn't it? On a yeah, it Tuesday was on tonight. It was on yeah. tonight that we're doing there. Yeah. Oh, I'll, that's I'll, why I'll watch I'm watching it after for sure. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's right. God, I'm sure Matt Jail will replay it five or six times over the next yeah. week. Yeah, you'll be able to catch. Well, I've it. got <laughs> I've got Optus Fetch, so I, oh, right. uh, once yeah. it's played, they you can have it. It's got like the catch up, so you can basically just watch it whenever you want. So oh, nice. Yeah, I think um, I think that that was one of the biggest things as well. Is like it's awesome being on Nat Geo and stuff. But we had so many people hit us up about uh, when it's coming to free to wear and and all that kind of stuff. Because it, it's it, like I'm I'm all like I, I understand why they do it, but locking off content from people can leave people really frustrated, um, especially like because we did so much promo stuff before it. We were all, we did like on the on the day that it 
aired. We did all the radio stations. We did, um, we did like you know, we've done Sunrise, we've done Today, uh, like we've done all that kind of stuff. And and people were just like, where can we watch it? And it's like, oh well, you have to get Foxtel or you have to get Fetch or yeah. get, get all these services that require like external, um, like you know, set top boxes or satellite dishes and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, ah, can't be bothered, can't be bothered. And it's like, all right. Unfortunate, but it, it, I'm I'm hoping that it, it will come out to free to wear eventually. Um, yeah. So yeah, and 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 when it does, obviously we'll let everyone know, and and we'll be probably pushing it just as hard as we did now because um, it's going to reach a hopefully reach a, a, a really wide audience. Yeah, well, that's like Bondi Rescue in Sydney. Yeah. That shows like up to like 11, 12, 13 seasons now. You know, so I don't see any reason why you couldn't keep pumping them out so um, i don't know whether i can do 13 seasons of belly bike to be honest i don't think <laughs> i've got it in me because they're, they're gonna want me to up the game each time so and uh eventually just have brown snakes nibbling on my toes <laughs> might have to come up with some sort of elaborate haircut or something like that yourself yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the reverse it. mullet yeah, the reverse, <laughs> yeah super fringe down the front yeah, I can't, can't see any snake you're catching then. Yeah. <laughs> right. I like I like to pretend like I'm blind anyway. Just make Stuart do it all. <laughs> <laughs> the moral support. Yeah, that, well, I'm not, it's not even moral support either because normally I'm just sitting back ridiculing him a lot of the time. Because <laughs> 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 we, we're so like we've been mates for so long that uh, a lot of the time, you know, well, he, like. You know, credit where credit is due. Stu's a really, really good snake handler, um, and he's been doing it for a while now. Whereas myself, like I kind of come and go, and I definitely don't have anywhere near as much experience now uh, as I did. Like as as we were when we were together, like he's well surpassed me. So is Mick. Mick's like a lot. Like you know, a lot of people make fun of him just because of his haircut, but Mick is even though he's quite young, he is an extremely well-versed snake handler. Like he's handling some of the most venomous stuff and it's extremely like dangerous. Um, but yeah, and he's happy to free handle and all that kind of thing. And it's not, it's not really obviously something that we want to encourage people to do. Um, but we do like, there's a warning at the front of the show. Like we're obviously all, uh, we've all got the bright permits and we've all got years and years of experience in handling snakes. Um, and the, the, the girls as well, like obviously Jess, she's a former spotter as well. Like she handles a lot of Venno um, and so does Adele. Um, Olivia's getting there. Um, she, like if we do if we do get another like season, another run at it, um, she'll, she'll probably be handling Venno stuff uh, as, like going forward. Um, but, yeah, like it's it's, oh, it's it's always – it's just one of those things. Like a lot of people, they were very conscious to make it look like – um, like, cause the girls, they're not really, they're, we're not really training them. The girls are their own, you know, their own thing and they've got their own experience and all that kind of stuff. So definitely there's no, um, yeah, we're not, we're not trying to get them to stay back at all. Like they are just as much involved as everyone, as every one of the guys. Yeah. No, it's a really good show. I'm, I'm looking forward to going and watching it after this. So I had to up the uh, Foxtel package just so I could get the Nat Geo and a few other channels on there. Oh, wife's going. Man. It's you're, an extra ten bucks a month, and I'm like, I'm, I'm getting all these other documentary channels as well, babe. I'm good. I'm sorted. No more maths for me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, have you only got one TV though? Hey, there's there's a there's a bunch Might of snakes. 
Yeah, I'm not usually a TV guy myself. Like I yeah, usually, yeah, you know, I'm on Netflix or YouTube pretty much. I don't really watch free to free to air sort of stuff, but you know, for the sake of being able to watch this on demand and you know other shows like it and stuff and other documentaries, yeah, why not? Yeah, I was, and I, th- I think as well, like really, like as as far as we're going, like to have a good standing in the industry, I think is probably is pretty important to us. Like we, we didn't want to come out and make it ridiculous and have like the whole reptile industry or the whole animal industry kind of hate us because I feel like a lot of the time that that can sometimes happen. You over-dramatise stuff and it becomes a joke. And yeah. uh, I think we've we've kind of found that middle ground and I'm pretty, pretty happy with the way the guys cut it all together because obviously like if you guys are – not that you ridicule me on your own podcast, come on. But uh, I feel like if, if we're getting uh, this kind of feedback, um, then it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Like we, we're definitely on the right track. Yeah. I have, to, I have to say when Jace was telling me that you guys were coming on and I was like, okay, well, I kind of want to watch the show before I know what I'm in for sort of thing because I was a little bit sceptical, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. I was actually the only disappointing thing. I was like, damn it, I just wish it was longer. So, yeah, that was, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, it, it's like I said before, it, it's incredibly hard to get oh, sure. these kind of shows off the ground. Um, yeah. like the fact that we got sixteen episodes, uh, and they're like I think it's twenty five minute episodes, so half an hour blocks. Um, that's that's pretty big. Like that that's that's pretty decent size. Like a lot of the time, you might get a limited run, ten episodes, and yeah, yeah you. you Rarely, it, it's it's a lot of content to shoot. As soon as you push it out to an hour, uh, and you start doing like I remember back in the day, what it wasn't even that long ago, you know, like you watch shows like Lost where they're doing twenty four episode seasons and they're an hour long. Like that is a lot of content um, yeah. to shoot. And and to be honest, like in the amount of time that we had and the budgets that we had to do the show. It, it it would never, it probably wouldn't work and it wouldn't have the same quality. I think we, we definitely tried to push for quality over quantity. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it, they go super quick. Like when I watch them myself and you're like, oh, there's it's over already. Like it's it, they, they do go quite quickly. And I guess it get, gets you wanting to come back, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Uh, like even coming from like my limited YouTube background and stuff and being able to see what's kind of popular with my audience and that, like it tends to be in that 15 minute to half an hour bracket tend to be really popular for my stuff. And I can see why, cause it's easy for somebody to sit down and digest that quickly without losing interest in it or whatever, you know, like where some of my longer videos or whatever might be out there and people faint off it. And you know, you can see how long the average watch is or whatever on a video and it might be, 20 minutes instead of the 50 minute video that's there or whatever. So it's kind of good to be able to just sit down. Like it's so easy to sit down and just pay attention for 15, 20 minutes on something versus something that is a lot longer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I mentioned before, like that just puts it down to the media landscape is changing. Uh, a lot of people, you know, in, in the time where we've got, you know, on demand streaming and you've got binge watching, like how many times you jump on Netflix and you binge watch a whole season of a TV show, which might have taken, you know, like that might have been like 18 weeks worth of episodes. Like I remember not that long ago where, you know, they always used to call Lost the water cooler show because it was on every week and you couldn't really binge watch it back then. 
Like yeah. it was on once per week and everyone wanted to chat about it at work. And, you know, like Game of Thrones as well. Like Game of Thrones is a great example. Like everyone would froth on Game of Thrones and it was rare that you you wouldn't be able to binge watch it back then because it came out once per week. Um, and so, yeah, me- media landscapes change and this is where we are. I, I definitely think that, um, you know, like online stuff, YouTube, um, it's, it is hard. It's hard to get a, a good following on YouTube now. And I think everyone's kind of waiting around uh, to see what the next big thing's going to be. Like I, I'm definitely like I love the live streams. I used to do a lot of live streams for snake calls on my Instagram. Um, I, I, I kind of stopped doing that when I stopped doing a lot of snake calls just because I didn't really have time to do it. But those kind of things, I definitely see that as the future because it's like on-demand entertainment straight up. Like okay. you are in that person. Uh, yeah. So, like, and, and you're you're living that situation as they're living it, and I think that's why it's really important with that kind of thing. Um, and it, it is, you know, in in a in a bad way. COVID's kind of bringing on. Like, as I noticed that uh, Dan Rumsey and the guys uh, at Australian Reptile Park, they're doing a lot of live stream stuff for their zoo stuff, and that that's yeah. really cool. Like, it's. I think it's making the best of the bad situation. Like there's not really much else they can do. So instead of like laying off all their staff, they're like, all right, well, what kind of, what kind of video stuff can we use? How can we still get views? How can we still get our name in people's faces uh, for that kind of thing? And I just, I really love the live stream stuff. Like I I do love off the cuff stuff. Um, I do love just living in the moment and just seeing like where or when you can take it and just taking you know, what's coming in and, and, and giving it back out. Like I do love that kind of thing. That's that's the kind of media that I enjoy. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely going to be an interesting like five years coming up, I reckon. That's for sure. Changing the field. Yeah. yeah. That's the one. Got to get ahead of the curve, boys. Multi-millionaire. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we can only dream. At least then I can yep. get a proper house and some lace monitor pits out the back. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and then you'll have like, um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's the thing with herp people. Like, you could be a multimillionaire, and all that means is just so much more herp. Yeah, yep. so many exactly. more mouths to feed. Bigger power. It doesn't bills. matter when you can pay for somebody else to clean it all and feed it all and do all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I just go out there and enjoy it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, yeah. It'll be interesting. Oh, mate. Well, I think we might wrap this up. If uh, Have you got anything else you want to touch on, Jase? No. Nah, I'm going to actually watch that episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, exactly what I'm going to do. Let, let me know what you think. And you've got to be honest. Yeah. Oh, I'm enjoying it. Nah, yeah. th- thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Um, this is actually the first kind of podcast thing that I've done. Uh, so I think it's been a really good uh, starting point and I really enjoyed my time. Like love, love chatting with you guys. And it's cool chatting with guys that, you know, got the same love for the animals and herpt- herptology and all that kind of stuff. So thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for uh, thank on. you for coming cool. on, mate. Uh, I like to think that we're reasonably chilled about it all. I always explain yeah. to anybody that's nervous before they come on. I'm like, you know, it's just a chat, you know, like I'm sitting here it's having a beer, just, a just enjoying some stories, you know, it's, no, it's an awesome time. So no, we, we really appreciate you coming on, mate. Nah, that's all right. No worries. Now the promo begins. Yeah. <laughs> Just while, while we are talking about it, do you, do you want to throw out any sort of like social media or anything like that for either the snake catchers or yourself? Um, well, you can go, you can search Aussie Snake Wranglers on Facebook, Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, Stu, like Stu's got his own business, Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers 24-7. You can check that out on Facebook. Um, and if you're 
for some weird reason, uh, like what I'm doing, um, you can hit me up at uh, at Tyrannosaurus Soul uh, on Instagram, and it'll come nothing, up. Nothing but belly bites. Nothing but belly bites. That's it. <laughs> like a gallery of my belly. I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> All right, guys, we'd like to say a massive thank you to Eric and Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.net and email them at info at moreliapythonradio.net. As far as contacting us in our social media platforms, you can email us at australianherpticulture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Make sure to check out our Teespring store for podcast merch. Link is on the Facebook page. To see more of what Jason is up to, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon, Teespring, under Beaches Scaly Beasts. We hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. Good night, guys. Good night.